This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson, and in this episode, I'm talking with Jonathan Dodson. He's the lead pastor of Austin City Life Church in Texas, and he's a good friend of mine. We've written some books together. Uh, he's also the author of many influential and important books, uh, Gospel-Centered Discipleship, Unbelievable Gospel, Raised, Finding Jesus Through Doubting the Resurrection, as well as his new book, which we'll be talking about today, Here in Spirit. In today's episode, we're going to be talking a lot about what it means to know the Holy Spirit, uh, to know Him, and to rely on Him, and to be present for Him with Him, and see the transformation of everything through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Jonathan, thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. And something we like to do when we start interviewing people is we like to ask them what God's leading them towards right now, what sort of season God has them as they make disciples. So what does life look like for you these days? And what does being a disciple of Jesus look like? Well, there's so many layers to that uh, question. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe start with the most recent. Uh, We recently uh, welcomed a new member to our family. Her name is Arissa. She is a Japanese foreign exchange student. Mm -hmm. She was in a a home that uh, just in the best situation and we were made aware of the opportunity. So prayed about it and felt like, man, I have three children. I have a church full of spiritual children and, mm-hmm. you know, do I really want to do this? And I felt like the Lord said, you can do it or you not do it. It's not a moral decision. It's up to you. And then I was reminded of just how, how much grace and mercy have been poured out of my life and thought, man, who am I to withhold this grace and mercy from this student. So mm. we welcomed Arissa to our family on Friday and it's Monday today and we've had a great weekend with her. Um, she's sweet. Our kids have really connected with her. And um, this morning around the breakfast table, it's uh, had the opportunity to explain the gospel to her through communion. She mm. we asked if she had any questions about church on Sunday and she wanted to know about the bread and the wine. Mm. Yeah. That's great opportunity in terms of uh, growing as a family in our hospitality Mm-hmm. Uh, appreciating Japanese culture, we're we're well aware that's a, a very kind of functionally atheistic culture, even though mm-hmm. there's Shintoism and Buddhism represented in their in their history. Uh, so um, we saw as a great opportunity to, you know, uh, mm-hmm. share the gospel with her, and hopefully she'll come to know the depths of God's love in Christ uh, as she spends time with us until June. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the newest layer of discipleship for us as a family. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's really cool. I didn't know about that. And uh, yeah, Japanese culture is super different. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but is she studying at, in like high school or university? She's a high schooler. Yeah, she's 15. And uh, she had to transfer schools because we're, we're further south of where she was, she, she was staying. So, <clears throat> but turns out there's another Japanese foreign exchange student down the road with some friends of ours. And they actually know each other from Japan. Whoa. <laughs> So they're going to now be walking to high school together from our houses. Oh, that's awesome. That's a remarkable providence. That is really great. 
yeah, I can just sort of picture that. Yeah, in South Austin, these two Japanese ladies walking to to high school. That's pretty yeah. great. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Well, uh, Jonathan, you and I, we go way back. I was thinking mm-hmm. on the drive in this morning. I was like, well, our friendships, you know, pretty recent. But then I began to realize it's it's like nine years old or something. So. Ancient. Ancient. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you've come out with a new book called Here in Spirit. And it's really good. And I really appreciate, you know, something that you've done with your writing world, job, career. I don't know if you would like to call it that, but is you've taken topics that are really genuinely true in your own life, like things that you're actually excited about that are reflected uh, in anyone who gets to hang out with you, like uh, whether it's about the resurrection or the gospel being the center of discipleship uh, or how to share uh, the gospel in an unbelieving world. And uh, yeah, this latest book on this Holy Spirit, as I read it, I was just like, this is so genuinely what Jonathan cares about. So mm-hmm. thanks for reading it. I think it's really important. Uh, but instead of me talking about it, uh, maybe you could just explain, yeah, your own journey with the Holy Spirit and what makes this book unique in the whole realm of Holy Spirit books. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of books on the Holy Spirit, and a lot of them tend to cluster around a handful of gifts. So mm-hmm. speaking in tongues, prophecy, healing, the more miraculous gifts. And my heart in this book is to kind of suggest that we put the cart before the horse, that we put the gifts before the giver, that we have created a schism in the church that was unnecessary because we became so obsessed whether these gifts particular, a handful. Mm. Uh, whether they were alive or dead, whether they were uh, valid or invalid. Mm -hmm. And in the process, we've been all distorted because we have been doing it out of touch with the actual person of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So my, my burden in this book is to help people begin or recover a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. As evangelicals, we often talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, I can't recall ever anyone ever talking to me about their personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And yet, he is fully a person, a divine person of the Godhead, and uh, fully knowable. Uh, he has a name like we have a name, helper, advocate. So that's been the kind of drive. And it began 20 years ago in a study in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, when I was studying the Trinity, and I just really came under great conviction that I had neglected the Holy Spirit my entire Christian life. Mm. And I fell to my knees and prayed and said, God, forgive me, Spirit, forgive me for neglecting you. I want to begin a relationship with you. I want to begin to know you, rely on you, depend on you, worship you, understand you. So this book comes out of a you know two-decade journey of you know, fits and starts and failures and successes, trying to know and enjoy and follow and worship mm-hmm. the third person of the Trinity. That's cool. Yeah, I think that definitely comes out. And one of the things that's that I think the point that you make in the very beginning about how we've put the cart before the horse, it really helps bring a lot of clarity to some of the the conflicts we have or even questions we have in terms of what does it mean to live a spirit-led life or a spirit-dependent life? I think often if it's just about the gifts, it becomes, well, how do I have a life that's just dependent on this force? You know, and we almost make like the Holy Spirit uh, very Star Wars esque. Like, there's this force that we have to get in tune with. Uh, mm-hmm. And I like how, yeah, your book makes it more uh, noble than that, and and really drives towards the person and what he's done on our behalf. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things you say towards the beginning too is that 
our union with Christ is the bullseye of the gospel. It's the headline news of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit brings us into Christ and the Holy Spirit puts Christ in us, I think is, yeah. is the line. And so maybe you could speak more about that, like that, that, the, that this union relationship that we have, uh, this presence, how that's the bullseye. Yeah. So it, I guess in that passage, I'm, I'm thinking about the relationship between the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Mm-hmm. The spirit is, as Titus says, the, you know, the, the, the regenerating washing presence of God in our lives uh, unto salvation in Christ. So there's a, a interdependence of the Spirit and uh, Christ in our salvation. I could use the language of, you know, one person is perhaps the water, the other is the wave. They are, mm-hmm. they are interdependent in bringing us into a full experience of God, mm-hmm. salvifically and relationally. And so they work together, obviously together with the Father's electing love to bring us into full communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Spirit can't do that on his own. He's not a rogue member of the Trinity, you know. Mm -hmm. But Jesus can't save us on his own. He can die. He can rise from the dead. He can do everything that's required. But it requires uh, both the Spirit's uh, regenerating power, the giving of faith to trust in the person work of Jesus who has died and defeated sin, death, and evil through his own death and resurrection to make us new. It requires both of them. Irenaeus uses this metaphor of the two hands of the Father, hmm. Spirit and the Son that fashioned the world. But he also uses it in the fashioning of the Imago Dei hmm. uh, of Adam and Eve in God's image. And I can't recall if he presses it quite to salvation, but the same thing is happening there. Mm. You know, so is this kind of, this is the, the work of art. Uh, and it's the redemptive, restorative work of art that the Son and the Spirit are doing to bring us into worshipful dependence on the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah, and that transforms even, I think, what we're trying to introduce people to. Yeah, even I've caught myself recently saying, well, yeah, our church is just all about Jesus. It's like, oh, actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't quite fit. Like, we can't just be all about Jesus. Like, we're, yeah. we're taking a third of God. Yeah. And I understand, like, we can't understand all the fathoms of God, but, like, we can respond to the three head that we see in Scripture. And so, yeah, that, that Christ and the Holy Spirit are working to save us and bring us into relationship with God. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah, and, and that kind of uh, simplicity is appealing. You know, it's all about Jesus, you know. Mm-hmm. And he is, there is one mediator between God and man, the man mm-hmm. Christ Jesus, unequivocally. Mm-hmm. But he is not a me- freestanding mediator. And I think this comes back to our actual understanding of God. God is, is not just Jesus and a, a father that we can't kind of, believe is there, but not quite sure what to make of him. Mm. The God is a community. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Cappadocian fathers said that he is persons in relationship. He is mm-hmm. a being that is constituted by eternal, ongoing, self-delighting relationship. Mm. And so to, to know him is to step into that through the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Yeah, which that bridges into the next question really, really well. Later in the book, you talk about uh, how the Holy Spirit reconfigures our view of of community. And you say that the Spirit conceives in us a new community and calls us into a new mission, that 
the Holy Spirit doesn't just bring us into relationship with God, but then brings us into relationship with other people and then the world. Why do you think that that's an important element to, to understand? Like what happens if we neglect that? Well, our default understanding is that we are conceived on an island by ourselves, mm-hmm. spiritually speaking. So we, we don't tend to think of ourselves as conceived into a family. We think of ourselves as picking Jesus to be our Savior, forgiving of our sins, and then we begin our new life with Him. And again, that distorts our discipleship because it's out of step with a Trinitarian understanding of God and, you know, to our point, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. So uh, the Spirit regenerates us into a new family. He, he saves us uh, into relationship with brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And so I think it's just doing justice to who we are. Mm. So our, our individualism um, is read back into the gospel, and it's a personal individual, is what we probably mean, mm-hmm. relationship with Jesus. Of course, now that we say that to set in, in, in contrast to other religions where there is, there is not a, a personal relationship with the God. And that's, mm-hmm. that's um, wor- a distinction worth making. Yeah, uh, It's just that there are more persons to know and enjoy. Mm. So that, that being conceived in community is, as we've already said, first being conceived into a relationship with a Trinitarian community, but it's also being conceived into a community of brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, spiritual family. Mm-hmm. And that uh, is a much more robust and healthy understanding of our identity because it is who we are. We are the church. Mm-hmm. The gospel comes with a family attached to it. Mm-hmm. And if we are to experience all that God has made us to be, then we have to and get to do it in relationship with other people. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Even uh, last week I was in Utah with several leaders in the Soma family, and we were having a, a long discussion, kind of a workshop on the Holy Spirit. And towards the end of it, I was guiding people towards looking to the, the fruit of the Spirit. And someone said, well, actually, you couldn't do any of these fruits. Like, maybe you could do love without a community. But all of the others, you know, patience and kindness, and like you can't do on your own. These are actually communal fruits that mm-hmm. we would have to share in mm-hmm. uh, which yeah was actually not where i was going with it at all but that it's so impactful because yeah we imagine that oh well we read the bible and we see what, even if we're super charismatic like oh well this is stuff for me like mm-hmm. the holy spirit stuff is just for me i have i get to play this duet in the world me and the mm-hmm. holy spirit and mm-hmm. maybe jesus but that's what we're doing when it's actually we're in this huge choir Mm -hmm. and the choir has a a purpose greater than self. Mm -hmm. We're making music together for the world and for Mm -hmm. one another, you know, to bring our Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs to dwell in the word of Christ richly together. Uh, This is a, is a communal affair, which is very enriching and challenging Mm -hmm. and also amplifies the, the music of the gospel to our world. Yeah. So how do you, even in, uh, city life in Austin, your church, how do you help uh, kind of base the church or even help it grow in that that dual reality of like, oh, the Holy Spirit helps us uh, and creates in us a community, but also calls us to a mission. It seems like a lot of a lot of what we do is swing to one one side of that. So how do you train your people to follow the Holy Spirit towards both? Well, I guess the primary way we do it is by just our primary, the primary organizing 
structure of our church is city groups, a place where you can be the church to one another and to the city. Hmm. We don't do a lot of programs because uh, we believe that the church is the best expression, not programs. Although church can do programs, but we believe that, and we are programming the church. We're programming it with kind of this conviction around Hmm. people being in relationships. So uh, city groups are the primary place where people follow the Holy Spirit into community and dimension. So we, it's, it's not novel. It's very basic. Um, but, you know, getting together, sharing meals, sharing life, serving, you know, all of our city groups have a shared mercy ministry where they're taking the mercy of God, not just to one another, but to those in the margins in our city and um, trying to, you know, in low income apartment housing, understand the practical realities of being socially marginalized, racially marginalized, economically marginalized, cook a meal, hang out, befriend, so that racial reconciliation or justice are not ideas or, or, or thing programs we're trying to launch. They're neighbors that we know and love. Mm. And, and uh, the spirit has this kind of outward propensity to cause us as he did in Acts 2, as, he, as we see him throughout the script, causing people to mm. reach out to others with the good news of Christ. So it happens, you know, primarily for us through those city groups. Mm. I guess the, the way that we train people on that is uh, we have classes on, you know, knowing the spirit. Mm. We try to honor his presence in the scriptures when we're preaching and make that a point of discussion in the city groups. Uh, there's uh, some women teaching a class in our church right now on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they called it the gifts and the giver. Hmm. They, they knew that they would attract some people because of their interest in the gifts, but their secret agenda hmm. was for everyone to know the giver. Hmm. And uh, apparently a lot of great conversations are happening out of that. So people being more in touch with the Spirit and therefore more excited to use the gifts hmm. that's given them. But not as a matter of distinction or elevation, but as a matter of generosity. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And yeah, really exciting to hear too. Uh, I think that being placed and organizing your church that forces people away from that individualism into community, but then also not just community as an ends of itself, but also a community that would be this outward oriented force or choir with one voice declaring God's goodness is, is phenomenal. Yeah. Something else you talk about in the book is prayer and the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people kind of put that into one thing. Oh, I pray. That's when I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit. But then you make this distinction. You're just like, oh, but our trust can't be in prayer. It's in God. Like the power comes from God, not from prayer, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, even in my own like international mission upbringing, like I mm. always heard over and over again, like there's power in prayer. There's power yeah. in prayer. And yeah. you say, no, there's power in God. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) But how does that work with prayer and just knowing the Holy Spirit? Well, there's power in prayer because who we're praying to. So you can say that, right? (laughs) That's good. But often people who are excited or intimidated by prayer are excited or intimidated because of what they can get with the prayer Hmm. or what they will fail to believe to obtain with the prayer. Yeah, that's good. So the prayer becomes an end in itself. It becomes a way to kind of twist God's arm to get what you want, or it becomes kind of a a listicle, you know, kind of a thing that, you know, a little prayer list, you know, it's so that God, his power, his presence, his love, his greatness is lost in the act of prayer because we're too busy making our way through our list. Hmm. 
of people that we care about. I still struggle with this. You know, you want to pray for people. You want the power of God to land on people, uh, but you can miss God in the process. Mm. I talk about in the book several ways that we pray that guide us kind of away from God. We can pray in emotion. We can pray in a doctrine. Mm. We can pray in a list. So you can hear great theological prayers that kind of ring a little cold because it seems as though the person is trying to so accurately pray, they've lost the meaning of the theology. So it's mm-hmm. like uh, if good theology is theology that, you know, that prays you, you know, mm-hmm. you don't pray it. Right. It comes from a personal encounter with the God that you're describing. Mm-hmm. And so you become less concerned about, you know, nailing, the systematic contours of God's character and you are more intent on relating to that God. Hmm. So there there are a variety of ways, you know, that we, we miss God, the God of power or the God of glory uh, in our prayer. And so I think the Holy spirit, Paul says in Corinthians that the spirit searches out all things, Hmm. even the depths of God. And that he gives to us freely all the things given to us by God. So if I want to know God, I need to know the spirit. Because the Spirit is the one who searches out all the things of God, all mm-hmm. the depths of God. And I want to know the depths of God. So, therefore, I need to know the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So, a simple way to do that is to, to begin your prayer, as we're often instructed in the epistles, to pray in the Spirit, to pray in His presence, to pray to Him, to ask for His guidance in the things that you request in, the, in just helping you be still mm-hmm. and to listen. And so in order to move into communion with God and to pray in the presence of the Spirit, I think we just ask Him to shape our prayers, to guide us in our responses in prayer, and make it more of a personal, a personal reality instead of a doctrinal, listical, emotional kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Luther said in uh, one of his books, I think I picked it up from Keller, but it, it's this idea of letting your prayers take you for a walk. Mm, yeah. And for years I was so intent in praying for all the people that uh, were Christians and then the people who weren't Christians. And then, then I began praying the Lord's prayer, our father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I got pray through my roles. Okay. Help me to honor you as a father, mm-hmm. as a tender father, as a loving husband, as a wise pastor, as a creative truth telling author, as an anointed preacher. And I get through the, all the roles. And then finally one day he was like, you haven't even talked to me from your identity. yeah you're as a loved son of god yeah you know it's just and so in order to to follow the spirit into prayer and to be dynamically engaged with the father son holy spirit you gotta i think there's a little detoxing you know that needs to happen Hmm. and then just let the spirit pull you over and get out of the car and Hmm. walk over that scenic overlook and just take in the glory Hmm of his righteous character. Hmm. That's what makes the difference in my day. Hmm. When I've slowed down long enough to listen and pull over <laughs> yeah, and take in his glory and his goodness and his sweetness. Hmm. So they, those were a few of the thoughts on praying in the spirit. Yeah. No, that's really good. And I love that image of allowing prayer to take your thoughts for a walk. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I have to take my kids on walks all the time or they'll destroy our little apartment. <laughs> and, uh, and the idea of like, Oh, like, like letting the Holy spirit take me for a walk mm. and to show me things. And for some people that's easier on their knees in their quiet place. 
but for others, it's, it's actually walking is actually a, a better way to do it. And mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that, you know, walking in the neighborhood or walking in the mountains or in the bike path, whatever, you know, just your, your body's moving, but you you can kind of go for a walk with, mm-hmm. with and the Holy spirit. Yeah. That's so good. And, and I think, you know, something you said as well is how, yeah, the spirit roots us in our identity as a beloved son. And mm-hmm. even the, the line from your book that was most, I don't know, just like stuck with me is, is this. You said, uh, we're no longer slaves to sin, but sons of God. The spirit sprang up in us from the flesh so we can run into the arms of the father. He says, go run, you're free. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's such a good, yeah, really amazing paraphrase of Paul's arguments in Romans. Uh, but it's also just, or summary of his arguments in Romans. But I think that that's, yeah, such a thing that we, we often miss or that I miss too, is that the spirit, yeah, calls me to the arms of the father. Mm. Spirit isn't something that needs to be given to other people for their good or help me do my role and my job or help me reach people, but that the Holy spirit rises up within me to, to run to the father. Yeah, Romans 5 tells us that he is the love of God poured mm-hmm. out in our hearts through mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. The yeah. love of God comes to us not nakedly. Mm-hmm. It comes personally through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's good news. Can't improve on that. Can't improve on that. Can't improve on that. Oh, it's so good. And it's, yeah, you know, like we want revival in our churches through all these techniques and mechanisms, but it's like, Man, what if the American church believed that? Yeah. That's good news. That's a good state of being. <laughs> yeah. So, Jonathan, what question have I not asked that I should have asked? Oh, you're doing a good job, Brad. <laughs> One part of the book that I am passionate about is this idea of the other power supplies, alternate power supplies that we run on if yeah. we don't run on dependence on the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is more than a power. He is a person, but he, but he also is a power. He, mm-hmm. he, the person who has power. Yeah. And what happens in the church is we separate and we say, there's the people that say the Holy Spirit is a person, the Holy Spirit is a person. And then you have the other people that say, well, no, he's a power, he's a power. Mm-hmm. And in the process, we've lost, we've lost the entire third person of the Trinity because we've separated him from his power. Mm-hmm. So he is a person, but he's a powerful person. Mm-hmm. And he's a powerful person that we're to be filled with to, do, to bear the fruit, uh, to do the works of God. Mm. And so whoever you are, you have a power. When you wake up in the day and you go to work and you discipline your kids or you hang out with your family or whatever you're doing, you're, you're operating on some kind of power. Mm-hmm. So the, the thing that I explore in the book is often we don't operate on the power of the spirit. We operate on rational power, on emotional power, experiential power. And for the Western church, I think the rational power is particularly pervasive. Hmm. What do I mean by rational power? It's the idea that, for instance, if you were to find out your child was sick and uh, you didn't know what it was, so you quickly went to WebMD, you read everything, and the process became incredibly anxious in trying to diagnose your child's issue. Then uh, you realize, okay, I've got to go to a doctor. You go to the doctor, you know, get some kind of assessments, do some tests, everything. Then you come back and you're, you know, kind of waiting for the prescription to fill the prescription. 
And in all of this process, not once have we paused to pray, not once have we thought to think, how should I respond to guide my child through this? Instead, we've kind of just rationally run uh, through the issue. We have sought to put faith in comprehensive explanations of the problems in front of us instead of, at the same time, perhaps, you know, putting, putting our faith in the Spirit's power to deal with the anxiety, the alarm, the problems that kind of spike up. Uh, alternatively, you know, temptation. We can have read all the books on lust, let's say, and uh, we could have been in men's groups and accountability groups you know, to fight lust, which is a good thing to do. And then the, the, the image pops up on the screen or you see the attractive person walking down the road and uh, you think to yourself, you know, love does not envy. Okay. You know, I'm envious of that person's uh, how attractive they are. Or uh, you think of flee from youthful lusts, you know, along with those from God, call on God from a pure heart, you know, okay. So you've got scripture in your hand and you've got the temptation and then you just, mm. you even re- rehearse the scripture and you're powerless and you click or you lust or you envy after that person. Mm. It's a rational power. It's a, it, might, it may even be a theological power, but it's not a spiritual power. Mm. And the reason is because we, we've assumed that any of the desire not to sin, it comes from our noble theological self, our inner dialogue with reason. Mm. And so any desire for me to not lust, any desire for me to serve somebody, doesn't come from the enlightened me. It comes from the spirit me. It comes from the spirit who indwells me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so the voice that I'm hearing is not a rational voice. I mean, it's reasonable, but it's not the spirit of reason. It's not the enlightened version of myself. It's the Holy Spirit. And I'm finding that as, as I recognize that, it makes temptation a more personal endeavor and less of a spiritual transaction. Mm-hmm. And I can say, ah, that's God, the spirit, mm-hmm. wooing me mm-hmm. away from something that's harmful to something that's beautiful. Hmm. Uh, the spirit is bringing the eternal truths of God to mind that I might be intoxicated with, with God's truth and not fall for this little half, half truth. You know? mm-hmm. So, you know, alternative power supplies, one of the big one is rational. Mm-hmm. And let's think about this. If we're on the topic of temptation, what's behind temptation? There's idols. What's behind the idol? There are spiritual powers. Mm-hmm. And you better believe that the powers behind the idols that we love are scared to death of a church that would wake up mm. to the voice that we hear is the Spirit of God. Mm. Because if we wake up to that being the Spirit of God, all of a sudden we become Spirit-filled people. Yeah. We become Spirit-dependent people. We become fruitful people. And we begin to see temptation for what it is, and it becomes undesirable. Mm. And then the church wakes up and there's power and there's witness and there's, you know, he's scared to death that we're going to unplug from these power supplies Mm. and begin to walk in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. That we are, we're not fighting against flesh and blood or rational, you know, academic towers or anything like that. There's spiritual powers that we're fighting against. Yeah. But we're fighting it with like, sticks and little pebbles yeah when we've been given everything the sword of the spirit yeah yeah that's probably a good way a good challenge to wrap up thanks for joining me jonathan and 
yeah, your book is called Here in Spirit, Knowing the Spirit Who Creates, Sustains, and Transforms Everything. Uh, it's really good. Also, you got like really amazing people to endorse your your book here on the back. So. Well, you pay enough, you can get a good name on the back. <laughs> Financial yeah. power. Or you prayed so much. That, <laughs> no, it's, it's a really good book. I think it's going to be very beneficial to the church. And uh, yeah, I hope that everyone is able to pick a copy up or order one online. Thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for listening to the Saturate podcast. It's been really fun diving into this topic. Yeah, if you need more resources, we have them at saturatetheworld.com. We have several videos and discussion guides to dive into this topic on the Holy Spirit and how it connects to life in community, life on mission, life growing up in the gospel. Uh, As always, if you've enjoyed the podcast, we'd love to have your feedback. You can write reviews and rate our, our podcast on whatever platform it is that you're listening to us on. And also, I want to extend the invitation to become a catalyst for Saturate. This podcast is completely free, and it's supported by the generosity of many others. And yeah, becoming a a catalyst is simply giving at any level. Uh, You become one, and you'll get a free gift and lots of other fun things like that. You can find out more by going to saturatetheworld.com as well. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.